Today is the portion of Bahar. We have two more parshas to finish. But we're also sandwiched in on Sunday was Pesach Sheni. And on Thursday is going to be Lag Bomer. So I want to cover a little bit about Pesach Sheni and about Lag Bomer and a little bit of Parsha Bahar. But I want to caution you, you know, uh, the Rebetzin doesn't know what I'm going to say necessarily. She's actually surprised a lot of times things I say, you know, uh, what I say, because she doesn't know. Uh, some, sometimes she helps me prepare, but not all the time. So I want to say something, you know, um, when I uh, was a uh, student in the yeshiva at the time, so I was a um, a decent student, and, you know, there were various opportunities that uh, people had to go to various different places in yeshivas in order to be there a support for the younger students and they would send uh, the older students already like from we call it 770 that's the address of Lubavitch headquarters it's called 770 everybody knows 770 so they would send the older students, older, older meaning in their early 20s or 1920 in that, at that age, uh, which they continue, by the way, today as well. But at that time, it was basically sanctioned by the Rebbe. I mean, the Rebbe was physically with us, and he would sort of get the note, come on in. Is the door locked? And they would um, pick, you know, students to go to the different yeshivas. How old would be the children that would be? Okay, so that, that varied according to, to the, each yeshiva varied. Now, as well as today, actually, as well as today, oh, you came in just in the right time. So, as well as, to, as today, it also applies... You want to hear this, Miriam, what I'm relating now. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you walked in now. This is the time. <laughs> so, um, so at the time they used to, uh, and even today, they take students. Once they go through a certain grade, um, basically they send them from there. They send them all over the world. They send them to uh, all over the country, all over the world. Different chiefs sent to Israel, to France, to Australia, to... Argentina to Brazil to 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 whatever California, every Jew New Haven, all these shivas all over the world. So there's like a pool of a couple hundred boys, and you know they send like ten to each place, six to some places. But the most, uh, at least at that time, the most prestigious shlichus, uh, the most prestigious shlichus means to go for a student was to go to Australia. In Australia, they didn't take ten. They took sort of the six top best Bachram. So, like, for example, my son-in-law, Naftali, his father went to Australia. My, my son-in-law, uh, Mati and Mendel Plotkin, they were all, you know, I only picked the top son-in-laws. <laughs> so they, <laughs> they all went to Australia. They were, they were on it. So to make a uh, short story long... Um, the did one of your boys go to Australia? Well, yeah, but not as a shlichus. Oh, yeah, he did, actually, time. right? I'm sorry, you're better than me. Hi, hi, hi. You know, you remember better than me? Yeah? 
uh, my son Label actually last year, not last year before last, he also went to for Shlichus in Australia. But he went. There is the YG and there's YC. YC is uh, Yeshiva Central. That's the smaller lateral Yeshiva. The YG is the Yeshiva Gedola. The, this was a newer. The Yeshiva YC is a more recent one. The YG was considered to be the most prestigious uh, shalichas. Uh, when I was about 18, I was just, just, on, just turned 18, I just turned 18, I turned 18 in the summer, and that year the Rebbe gave a whole big talk by the Fabrengen that he wants to send Yeshiva Bachrim to four different Yeshivas. And that was something new at that year, the Rebbe established. Now, this was in 19... Uh, this was in 1975. Uh, uh, At the end of ni- this was in 1975. This was in 1975, and the Rebbe said that he wanted to send Bachram to four yeshivas, to France, Brunois. That was one of the yeshivas. He wants to send to Montreal, to Toronto, to care to Canada, and he wants to send two groups to Israel. One in Kfar Chabad. That's the Chabad village. And the other one in Yerushalayim, the Torah Embassy wants to send. So the Rebbe said, everybody should sign up who is ready to go. And wherever the yeshiva, the Rebbe, you know, they will decide for you to go. So not important, all the details, but we all signed up. There was a whole bunch of sign up. At the end of the, end of the day, I was chosen to go to Jerusalem, to Yerushalayim. And I went for two years in 75 and 76, I studied in Yerushalayim. I studied in, in Yerushalayim. I came back in the summer of 76. At that point, the cycle, which means every two years, they change in Australia. At that point, they were looking for students to go to Australia, for six of the better students to go to Australia. And I just come back, and they asked me to go to Australia. They asked me to go to Australia. That the Rebbe wants me to go to Australia. So they said, you know, but it was, you know, it wasn't clear to go to Australia. And you know, I, I guess I still feel guilty till today, but I just couldn't go. I was away for two years, and I was didn't feel that you know, emotionally, that I would be able to handle. Because when you go to Australia, it's unlike... I didn't know how to picture what Australia was, going to Australia, but it was like going away, like on the other side. And I just couldn't... I just couldn't... I couldn't fathom it. I didn't know, maybe, because I had a, a difficult time. I was a, as a student, a little bit younger, I was in France over there, and I had a very hard time over there. I'm not sure if I was homesick or whatever it was. Even though I was already 16 years old at the time, but I had a, I learned very well over there. It was a good yeshiva. I learned well, but I just, I just had a hard time, and I couldn't see myself going away for another two years to yeshiva. I just couldn't emotionally, mentally, and I had a lot of pressure from the rest of the other five. You know, there were better students. They wanted me to come along, and you know, they they put a lot of pressure on me to go, but I said. I can't. I just couldn't. I refused. This was like, it took every ounce of courage on my part. To, you know, this was the prestigious. Everybody was looking to go. Australia was considered the top shlichus, the best and everything else. 
What am I talking about? What? I know I came back and I, I went at the time I went to another shlichus within New York in, in Ocean Park where I went uh, uh, no. yeah, no, that was later that was later that was later that was a few three no you're Not right yet. Maybe this was three years who knows everything I don't know yeah but just uh, for my part it was it took all the muster all the courage that I had to know that what I couldn't do I couldn't do yeah. And I just couldn't. And even though it, it, it pained me and it was very, the most prestigious shlichas, it was like something that everybody was running to go. So they had to find somebody in my place and I did not go. What am I talking about Pesach Sheni? So Pesach Sheni is, teaches us that it is never too late. That if you miss, sometimes you miss an opportunity, somehow uh, the Ebesh, the God, Hashem provides for you Another opportunity. He lets you make up for, for maybe a missed opportunity. So I always it was always on my mind that you know what, I never went to Australia and I've never uh, actually the Rebbe sent you over there. So just out of the blue, two days ago, I get a call, and they <laughs> invited me to come down and give lectures for a whole week in Australia. For a whole next week to go to Australia to address the yeshivas, go, go. to address the yeshivas so and the different schools over there. Oh, so actually, the one who was the shaliach was her son. He suggested me, and they accepted wow. it because his son knows me. You're aware of that, right, David? Yeah, he mentioned. Oh, David. So David. David, David, he was he was helped over there with the organization. So he he uh, he recommended. But to me, yeah, no, but he's in the in the but he he came to recommendation. Of course, they you know they so they 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 they. Her son recommended to Australia to take him because his son was there. So yeah. I was like. So okay, so for me, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of a makeup for me That's for so for the Rebbe, you know. And I said after Pesach Sheni, <laughs> I'm going empty. Just I'll carry a motor. You have a son there, Yoni. Yoni is there. Really well, did you know that I was going, or you didn't know? Did you know that I was going? You knew that he was going to ask me. He wanted me to go. So that was that's why I said you walked in of it. It was just in time. So I was telling the story about. So I really feel this is connected with Pesach Sheni because the Rebbe says it's never too late, and even if you're intentionally sometimes miss out on a, a good thing, and I'm sure that would have been good for me, even though I I I decided maybe it was a wrong decision. Who knows these things? But it was meant to be because that's the way it was, and you know, can't turn the clock backwards. I'm not sure. Ah, Melbourne, yeah, Melbourne. Supposed to go to Melbourne, supposed to win the Shiva, and I always wanted to go. And one thing I told my wife, I said, every time if you have a Shidduch, if they call you from Australia, we're not going there. We're not even, because we're not going to Australia. I told her. So I had no choice, I had no chance logically that we're ever. And my it's wife told uh, told Label, whatever you do, don't bring me no girl from Australia because your father is in trouble. I'm not going to Australia. Australia, I said. I'm planning to have trips someday. Okay, maybe. you go on the speaking. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no. when you know? yeah. I'm, so I'm going to miss him on Tuesday. Coming Tuesday for a week. From Tuesday, to, from Tuesday to Tuesday. I'm going from wow. Tuesday to Tuesday. Wow, amazing. Yeah, I'm so excited. Yeah. Okay. All right. So anyways, but this just happened. That, but I really feel... That the Ebishter gave me another opportunity, sort of to. I had some mission that the Rebbe wanted me to be 
in Australia to give something to Australia. And if I missed out, they gave me another opportunity to go ahead. And you're not and missing them. this one. Hope Dave is Hashem. You know, I'm not uh, missing this one. I, you know, everything he should work yes, out well. He said yes, and we were encouraging him. And then, from Boston. That was yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's that has to do with Pesach Shemi. <laughs> then today we're going to talk about, a little bit about uh, the Parsha. And, you know, a lot of times people pay more attention. After we finish with the parish, we'll talk a little bit about Lag Bomer. But a lot of times, people pay more attention to action. You know, there's an English saying, sticks... Speak no, or, it's, or they say, yes, there's one, or they say, and that's in the positive. And in the negative, you say, you know, sticks and stones will hurt my bones, but names, names will never hurt me, or something like that. You know, so they have... People pay more attention... Um, to um, what you do, or like in, in, not cheating somebody and not doing, you know, so people, in action, people pay more attention. People don't pay as much attention as you know what they speak or what they say. Not to say, <laughs> not to say hurtful things, and not to say. And people don't always realize that, in a way, speech is more um, harmful, or in this case, it's a bigger avera, it's a bigger sin than sometimes action. Uh, sometimes speech is more, and we know that, you know, that some people can be uh, very hurt, the people that are either sensitive or even they're not sensitive. So sometimes you can say, we know that bullying is a big problem, that even though it may not be action, it may be just words, but that can hurt even more. So it's interesting, in this week's Parsha, I wanted to take out and show how we see that the Torah itself actually gives more, and from some of the commentaries, they give more credence and more force about speech to make sure not to say hurtful things or not to say things that will cause you know uh, pain and uh, damage to the other person now this the the, the, the pasuk just to bring from the pasuk in the beginning the pasuk says if you look at those who have the sheet it's in it's in hebrew over here i, I have it on my here so maybe those who read yeah. hebrew they can distribute it Okay, maybe... Um, I will listen. What? You'll listen? You'll listen in? Okay, so just, just to read a little bit from the, from the verse. Okay, will you look together over there? Do you have one over there? It's starting on this. Yeah, First one, yeah. yeah. Printer didn't do such a good job printing it. But over here it says, V'chi, you see verse Yudalit. It's on the top over there, a little bit to the left. It's aligned. You see Yudalit? V'chi simkiru you know what? I can actually print out real quickly another copy of this. In, 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 yeah. Okay, no, it's there. No, it's printed out. You can take it upstairs from upstairs. So it says that... Um, so what is Pasuk saying like this? If you sell something to your friend, or you purchase something from your friend, don't cheat one another. Don't cheat one another. 
Okay, the word cheating is a general word. It's a general word, the word cheating. But there is also a um, a very specific, the, the Pasek gives you also a very uh, a very specific scenario of not cheating. So in verse Tezvav, the next verse says, Bimispar shonim achar hayoyvel the number of years after the Yovel, Let me tell you what that means. That means, the way it worked is, um, when people sold property, real estate, in Israel, that sale was never a complete sale, which means it only stayed in the other ones, in the buyer's domain, in his property, until the Jubilee year. What is the Jubilee year? The Jubilee year is like this. There was a counting. Every seven years is Shemitah, is a sabbatical years. So you count six years, the seventh year sabbatical years. After you count seven times seven, which is 49 years, the 49th year, again, is a sabbatical year. The 50th year that follows the 49th year becomes the Jubilee year, becomes the Yovel year. The Torah says that on the Yovel year, on the Jubilee year, we are all to go back, to go back, the property goes back to its original owner. So it turns out if you're selling somebody a field, let's say, you're selling them a field, you are essentially not selling it to them permanently you're only selling it to them for a number of years because when the jubilee year will come around it'll go back to its owner so if you sold it it's sold for a certain amount of years so therefore what this verse is talking about without going through reading the whole thing i'm telling you so the verse says when you sell a a, a field a property you can't sell it for a lot of money (coughs) if you know that it's two years away, for example, from the Jubilee year. So you know that if you sell it for a lot of money, the person, the buyer, is being cheated because he's not really going to have, he's not really going to own it for more than two years. That's all he's going to own. He's going to have to give it back. And you sold it for a lot of money. If you're going to sell it for very little money and it's still many years to the Jubilee years, so then the seller is being cheated because he's really giving it away for very cheap, and the guy is getting gonna be able to hold it for many years. So the Torah therefore says, what we gotta see is how many times can you sow the field? How many years is there from now until the time? That's how we determine the prices. So you must always take into a consideration what the prices is for the <coughs> what the prices for that is. That's the specific what the Torah talks about, not cheating one another. Say okay. what you want to say. I always wanted my husband to be on the big. Let's let's go. Let's move on. So, this is what the pasuk is saying over here. If you remind me, just it's easier like this for me for a second. So over here, basically, okay. So basically, we're talking about you can't cheat somebody. So this would be an action. This would be taking somebody's money wrongly. Mm-hmm. There's other ways. There's many ways you can cheat people. Not speaking the truth. You can uh, you can overcharge them, undercharge them. There's various different ways that people can 
hurt other people. But this is all included in not cheating in cheating the person. But then the verse says the exact same word. In verse 17 it says, Veloy toinu ish esamisa. You shouldn't cheat. One man shouldn't cheat the uh, the other one. One so but here the the verse adds it says, You must fear God because I'm God, you're God. But what does it mean again you shouldn't cheat? We just finished talking about all the cheating. Again, what is it talking about cheating? So, it's interesting that maybe the word toinu does not really mean cheat. Toinu means more like hurt. Hurt, you can hurt somebody financially. You can hurt somebody by saying hurtful words. In the word hurt, like toinu means more like don't hurt the other person. But Rashi explains that the second time around when it says don't hurt him is talking about hurting them through speech. That the second time. But it's interesting that when it talks about not hurting them monetarily, it doesn't say you should fear God. It just says don't But over here it says by speech, the verse adds, don't, you should fear God. How do you hurt somebody by speech? Rashi gives an example. Rashi says, do not give someone advice which is inappropriate. That would be hurting them. Uh, you may have an interest in a certain thing, but you're telling the other person, you're advising him something which will benefit you is your benefit, but the other person, you're not disclosing it that you're benefiting from it. You're just telling them something and you end up benefiting. That's called you are hurting him because your advice is not really good advice. You're giving a person advice. That's called hurting him with words. That's the second example I, I skipped. The first example, Raj says, hurting a person means don't say upsetting things to your friend. That is also hurting them. Don't hurt them with your words. Saying something which is upsetting is considered hurting them with words. Do not give them advice which isn't fitting to them because this is something that will benefit for you. What does it mean giving somebody bad advice that is beneficial to you. So, you know, like they have, you know, today they're catching all kinds of cases in which uh, people that are giving uh, uh, government officials, like we, we read in the newspaper all the time, so they're lawmakers who actually benefit from, you know, from the votes, you know, what they say, you know, there's like a, whole, a lot of people who benefit. Rashi in a previous parsha, gives an example. Rashi says, like, if you advise somebody, you know what, sell your field and buy yourself a donkey. Selling a field property, let's say, you know that the property values are going up. Person, the real estate is, is valued. But you're saying to the person, you know what, sell your house, you say to them. Now, now is a good time to sell your house. If you don't sell your house now, then the market is going to go down. And you're not going to make so much money. So you might as well sell your house now. And he trusts you. He thinks you're an expert. He trusts you. You know, maybe he's a, he's a real estate agent or something. He says, he asks you. He says, what should I do? So in Rashi, he brings the example. He says, 
Tell your house. So he says, what should I do with the money? I doesn't need any money. Apparently, if he needed the money, he would look at himself. He says, what? He says, buy yourself a donkey. But buying a donkey instead of a house is not, is, is not an equal exchange. And in the meantime, what you really have in mind is that you're going to go ahead and get that piece of property. You're going to get it for yourself. So you're advising the other person to benefit yourself. So you're giving him bad advice. That's called hurting your other friend. But Rashi says over here something very, very uh, powerful. Rashi says, when you hurt somebody in action, you can, it's obvious, it's, 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 most of the time it's clear. It's clear, you've done something wrong, you cheated them, you took the price, you took more money. If they catch you, you know, they catch you, then they'll catch you that you, you, you cheated them. But with words, it's very difficult to really catch the person. Why? Because he can always say, I thought the market is going to go down. He didn't, I didn't think. In other words, I gave you advice. I didn't do anything to you. I just gave you the advice. As Rashi says, who's going to know that what I intended was bad? Who's going to know? I don't know. And that's why it says you should fear God. Because God knows your thoughts. He knows what's in your heart. Anything that is given over to your heart, so you should know that Hashem knows the truth. It always says you should fear God. Matter of fact, as I said earlier in the Pasuk, it also, in the previous Pasuk, two Pasuk ago, in the Pasuk of it also says, don't put a stumbling in front of your friend. What does it mean to put a stumbling? So normally we see that there's a blind person. You can't put a, uh, something so that he'll go and trip over it. But Rashi says it's the same idea like we're saying over here. Don't give a person advice so you can stumble. Somebody who's blind means he doesn't understand the situation. You're giving him uh, advice. He doesn't know. He's blind. He doesn't understand. And you tell him. I want to tell this point also in a, in a, on a spiritual level, to take this on a spiritual level. You know, there's a lot of times people give you advice as far as relig- religious religiosity goes, you know. They give you advice, you know, people who are not knowledgeable. They don't know about Yiddishkeit. They don't know about Hashem. They don't know about the Torah. So they go to a place, to somebody who they think is going to tell them about Yiddishkeit, to tell them about God, teach them about the Torah. But at the end of the day, they don't give them the real advice. They don't, they're, they're putting a stumbling block for them because they're not teaching them authentic Torah Judaism. These people are blind, which means they don't know. They don't know. They sometimes, many times, you know, the soul of a Jew is yearning for for Hashem. They're yearning for Yiddishkeit. They're yearning for Torah and Mitzvahs. They really want it deep in the heart. And they come to places in which people don't give them the real Torah. They put it, they tell them, oh, if you do this, you do this. That's all what you have to do. That's also called a stumbling block because they're not really giving them the full, authentic, the needs that they need to be uh, to be successful. So they're saying, you know, I just told them words, but it's not, it's not right. What do I want to read over here? So this is what the Rambam writes over here. Another thing what Rambam says, but I want to do it. Rambam says... You're not allowed to say things 
that are hurtful, as for example, that would shame a person, and he he sort of is going to be really hurt by it. He gives an example. Let's say a person has some bad history. He did something bad in his youth. He did. And you do to him also, you do it in a sly way. You don't tell him, oh, you're, you're, you're bad. You say, this is the words of the Rambam, thank God that you are no longer doing what you did over there. So he's, now you're, not, thank God you're good now. So he's sort of telling him, you know what, he's shaming him. He's trying to, he's reminding him of his past. Or he says, any of these kinds of words, anything that you hurt a person through words, and it's also both things. It hurts him saying upsetting thing and also giving them bad advice. It's all words, all has to do with words. So he brings another language. So he says, uh, if, um, if a person was about shuva, you tell him, remember what you did in the past, don't say that. Then uh, somebody is sick. Very important. Somebody's sick or somebody has a mishap in the family. This is from the Talmud. And you tell them, oh, you know why you're sick? You must have done something wrong. It's a punishment for you. You know? That's called hurting somebody with words. You can't say that. I had a whole fight one time with a person. Rambam says from the Gemara. Yes, this Gemara. This Rambam says this the Gemara. How you chaloim? Uh, this is in the Gemara Bab Metziah, in Talmud Bab Metziah. To tell somebody that they were sick because they deserve it, the Gemara brings this, is, you know, Job in Aiv, the friends told him, maybe you're, you're, you're being punished by God for what you've done. Can't tell a person that you're punished for something that you've done. You're hurting that person. What happens further, another thing there, uh, uh, what about, um, uh, you know, somebody asks you, um, how do I get to, uh, um, how do I get to Shaw's, right? So he stops you by the way. So you point to him to the wrong direction, you know. I mean, the, he doesn't know and you're not going to see him. But, you know, sometimes you want to make a little prank with somebody over there. Or, in the Ram, this is not the case with the Gemara, you know, he said, I'm looking to buy, uh, I'm looking to buy grain. I want to buy grain. Oh, you say, go to that person, you know, he'll sell you grain, but you know the guy doesn't sell grain. So you're just, you know, telling the person, you're, you haven't done anything to him, and, and you can always go back and say, oh, I thought he sold grain, I forgot, you know, I made a mistake, you know, I didn't know. I thought Shores was in that direction. You know, and this is something that, you know, I made a mistake. And finally, the third example from the Gemara, he says, is you can't go into a store and build up the hopes of the seller. Say, oh, how much does this cost? You know, And he thinks, the seller thinks, or she thinks, the shopkeeper thinks, you're going to buy it. Because you're asking, what's the price? Eh, you have no intention to buy it. I, I'm not sure this would apply in the big department stores today in which the salesperson doesn't care and they want you to... Pro- yeah, you know, so that, that I don't think it's, it applies that much. It's talk about more if you're causing the person, you're building up their hopes of making a sale. Now, you don't have to buy it, but if you don't even have in mind to buy it, and you're just... Now, maybe if you have other reasons, but 
that would also be considered hurting somebody with words. Saying something, building up their anticipation. But I wanted to discuss, but a lot of us have problems. I mean, we discuss a lot of problems, but how do we deal with people that hurt us? I mean, how are we allowed to hurt them back, or are we allowed to defend ourselves in front of, you know, when we come across, you say people hurt you with words, and they say things to you, are you supposed, if I, if I should give back with words, and if I should tell them back, hurt them back, am I violating a, a, uh, uh, a you know, besides giving back, you're not allowed to take revenge, but am I defending myself, am I allowed to defend myself and, uh, and say hurtful things to the other person, so to teach them a lesson that they don't tell hurtful things to me. And they should know, if they're going to say something bad to me, I'll say it back to them. Am I allowed to do it? Can I say it back? Or, or protecting yourself. Or protecting yourself. Mm-hmm. So, the, there is a book of the Chinuch, the Sefer HaChinuch, I'll just write from here. He says, I'm going to read just what he says over here. So he says, uh, um, He says, what is the root of, of the mitzvah? He says, it's, the root of the mitzvah is to bring peace among the people. And if it's peace, then there is blessing in the world. Disagreements, fights, it's the most difficult thing. It brings to many curses and to many stumblings. Machloikia's disagreement, dissent, is, 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 is really bad. There's many times in the Torah that the Torah warned us about these things. Not to hurt another person in any matter. Not to shame them. The rabbi said that you're not even allowed to go ahead and try to buy something if you don't have the money. And you're supposed to be careful even in a hint of your words should be nothing degrading about anything else, even indirectly, even through somehow in a, in, a, in a side way, because the Torah was very particularly against hurting people by speech, because this is something very difficult to the heart of people. People care more, some people care more about being hurt emotionally or with words even more than money, even more than money, if you hurt them. Uh, our, the rabbis say that it's a greater sin to hurt somebody verbally with words than with money, because the Torah adds the words, as we learned, you should fear God. He says, I can't articulate all the details what people may get hurt of, but everybody has to be careful as he sees fit, because Hashem, blessed be He, He knows all your steps, He knows all your hints, He understands you can't trick God, you won't trick. <coughs> A person sees with his eyes, but God can see your heart. And there are many stories, He says, to learn about, uh, about this. Thing. Now, this applies to men, to women and even to children. It's very important not to hurt them too much, even your own children. An exception when you need to sort of teach them that they should 
you know, train them, to discipline them. Even your children, sons, daughters, your family people. And a person who's more lenient and doesn't cause them any pain will find life blessing honor. And one who transgresses and he causes pain to his friends with words in those that our sages of blessed memory have articulated, like about Shuva, or somebody who is sick and telling him that you deserve it, or similar to this, has violated this prohibition. But you don't get lashes because lashes when you make a violation, because this is not an act. In order to get lashes, do an act, so there is no. But he says God has many ways to give lashes, even without. Uh, he doesn't need the debate then to give you the lashes to to do that. So now it comes. He says further. So what happens if a Jewish person comes? and starts to cause you a lot of pain. It tells you bad things. He started to hurt you. So the best thing is, don't answer him. But sometimes a person cannot be like a stone. Uh, that, you know, the guy comes and says bad things, says insulting things, and you're supposed to be quiet and not say, not respond. And sometimes people may interpret it as agreement. As agreement. That because you're not answering, maybe you agree to what the person is saying. He says the Torah did not tell the person should be like a stone, should be so you shouldn't answer those who curse you the same like those who bless you. The Torah tells us that we should distance itself from this trait, and we shouldn't be the one to start a fight or to start to curse somebody else. And that will protect the person. Don't start up with this from all of this. Because a person who is not an argumentative person, doesn't fight, people will generally leave him alone. Unless you're dealing with really uh, corrupt people who are just bad, vicious people, it's not, uh, we shouldn't pay attention to them at all. But if somebody forces you, that you have no choice, and you must answer them what they say, so a wise person would answer in a way, in a pleasant way, not to get angry. And you know, and, um, um, one of one of the things I I learned. One of my children, I'm not going to say who, but one of my children, I saw the way she. Okay, I'll tell you, it's a she. So you know, it's one. I, it, the way she would handle situations when somebody would sort of attack her or say something nasty to her, and then, and the way she turned it around in such a pleasant way that I learned from it, how she would she, she would just say why, and then like she would say like she would say like she would open up her innocent eyes and say why would you say something to hurt me like that or <laughs> something, and just confront them, she would confront them with such innocence and just say. And the person would be ashamed yeah. that instead of giving back, That's they did it in a smart way. He said, "Why are you saying that? Why are you saying that to me? And why is why are you saying such such hurtful things to me?" And just say it like that, and the person realized, "Hey, you know what? Normally we tend to giving back, but I, I saw how she does. I was amazed. Yeah. And even it came into um, situations where people insulted you, got angry at you. She wouldn't get angry back. She would just sort of tell them that." 
you know, she said, that's really not nice what you're doing. She's you know, hurt, to, to, she yeah, she yeah. said, it's not nice what you're doing to her. But in any event, okay, so he says to, to change it, and... So high, high self-esteem. What's that? She does that. I think she has high, high self-esteem to say that. High self-esteem? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, that's probably... This is the best way of people. So he says... I can't hear you. But he says, we are permitted to respond to a fool according to his... Uh, foolishness because he says how do we know maybe somebody can go ahead and make your life miserable and bully you to no end and you should just sit there and take it and not do anything about it you know who says it you know sometimes you know you can have family members sometimes you can have uh, brothers spouses brothers sisters uh, mothers children children. Uh, (laughs) children all you can have you should just sit there because you're not allowed to say. He says, no. He says, the proof is, he says, where does it say? Because the Torah says, when somebody's coming, digging in, this is the law, when somebody's coming into, digging into your house and trying to kill you, the Torah says that you can go ahead and kill them first. That, okay? So we're not, we're not, Torah would not obligate us to suffer damages from another person and just sit there and take it and not give that back. Because a person has a right to protect themselves and to save themselves from somebody who is hurting them. It's just like physically, we can save ourselves from their mouth as well. But the question is how? So he says, in any way you can save them. However, he says, and, you know, I was actually, uh, who was I discussing with this? Who, oh, I was discussing the other day, you know. I mean, again, you know, it was in, with, with, with an individual. But, you know, today we're more aware of it. But you see, and what's going on, like on some of the social media, and then that's what you see, people are bullied. Mm-hmm. And some of them even commit suicide yes. for the bully. Because mm-hmm. it's so painful when it says over here, you never heard anybody commit suicide because they lost money. I mean, maybe, yes, yeah. but I mean, <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not talking about, I don't mean that kind, but I'm talking about uh, the young people today, you know, losing some money, you know, but if somebody's bullied, uh, you know, they, 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 they will commit suicide, and it's a lot of, a lot of problems, especially in the schools and in, in social media and other places, so bullying could be a very, very serious problem, and um, the problem is that sometimes we, there's no stopping to these bullies. I mean, there's no mm. way. We don't have the means. But he says like this, but still, after everything that he says, he says there are some people that have the strength. They are like very righteous. And uh, they're so righteous that they didn't even want this excuse uh, to respond to those who, who sold them or everything else. Um, and they were worried that if they start getting back, they might get, you know, exceedingly angry in this more than necessary. So they just decided not to respond at all. We find in the Talmud, you know, and the Talmud says, well, these are these people that have a, a very uh, special level. They're those people that the Pasuk says about them, you know, um, uh, this is a people that are insulted, they don't give back. They listen to their degrading and they don't respond. 
they are the exceptional tzaddikim, but most ordinary people are allowed to uh, uh, give back. But from they're from, allowed no? to give back, or how to protect they? themselves? Okay, and then the question is how that creates an even bigger argument. <laughs> well, the, we're we're talking about the situation where a person has a way of uh, defending themselves. I mean, if it doesn't have a way of defending themselves then there's nothing what to do. I mean, then the person they can't help it. But if you could defend yourself, he's basically trying to tell you, because just because you're seeing in the verse that you're not allowed to insult somebody, it doesn't mean that you have to take it for somebody and not give back. That's what he's saying. So it's not telling them. And um, But you're absolutely right. I mean, many times the people that do the, uh, the abuse, um, um, it's hard to stop them, you know. It's hard to um, hard to, um, to to stop them. But sometimes you just gotta remind them, you know, that what they're doing is is wrong, you know. And uh, a lot of times, actually, most of the time, uh, not a lot, I'm not sure, many times, uh, people don't realize what they're doing. They don't mm-hmm. forget what they're doing. They, uh, but in any event, I just wanted to finish up with also with the lack of a little bit. So what we see here. Uh, the power of speech, and, and here basically we're talking about this power of speech in the negative, but there's also the power of speech in the positive, which means just like in the negative, you can really kill somebody, and we learned that it can even hurt him more than cheating him from the money. The same thing is saying good words to somebody, encouraging somebody, can be a lot more value than money. It can be a lot more value than anything you can mm-hmm. give them. You can actually change a person's day and life and, and, and attitude by giving them good words and by encouraging them. Mm-hmm. And that is essentially what, <coughs> as Jews, what we say, love thy fellow as yourself, and you need to uh, find means of, 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 of reaching out and protecting. And when, I guess, when you see somebody hurt, uh, you should actually try to intervene uh, and help the other person also by your words. And um, this is also um, um, talking about the hidden. Uh, the action is revealed, but what's in your heart, what you say, sometimes you say, I didn't mean to say anything, I was just telling a story. In the meantime, while I'm telling the story, somebody else got hurt. It's, so, which means that's the hidden part. That's the, the, and when we talk about the Torah, there is also the revealed part of Torah. And that's the hidden part of Torah. There is the outer layer of Torah, and then there is the hidden part. That's the esoteric part of Torah, and that is the specialty and the celebration of Lagba Omer with Shimon Bar Yochai, which is the underneath, which is the hidden part of Torah, which is the special realization. That when we get together, we learn a Pasuk, we talk about the Parsha, we talk about the Rambam, we talk about the Chinuch, we talk about the Mitzvahs. So it seems to us it's just a very uh, simple and external Torah study. Great, that's a tremendous Mitzvah, and it's a great thing. But really, deep down, there's something major happening a lot more than what we see we are actually connecting ourselves with God's wisdom. This is actually tying us up and uniting us with Hashem Himself. It's bringing us to become one with, with, with God. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai was teaching us the esoteric parts of Torah, and he passed away on Lagba Omer. 
And Lagba Omer became his holiday because on that day, he actually, what was hidden became revealed to him because he actually, his soul departed from his body. So while he was here, it was a body and a soul. Now it became totally united. So all of his yearnings and all of his uh, teachings that he had throughout his lifetime became on that day that he passed away and he was united with his maker, with Hashem, that sort of brought about to him that was hidden into the open, to his level, that became the open level. And um, what it tells us is that we should never just go on the outside, on the superficial side, but we should actually dig in and find the depth and the meaning in everything that we do. In another Jew, realize that there's a lot of depth. When we do uh, study Torah, realize there's a lot of, underneath it, a lot of great things going on. And also on the other side, we should always be careful what we do to realize there's something underneath that we may actually uh, be doing something which is, you know, inappropriate, even though on the level it doesn't seem. But Rav said that it's our obligation to rejoice in the Lag Bomer. So I really hope that uh, the people here will join us on uh, Thursday. Mm-hmm. What time is it? Uh, it's 5 o'clock. At 5, from 5 to 6.30. You know, it's not about uh, the hot dogs, and it's about rejoicing with Rav Shimon Bar Yochai to make his celebration. He asked to be there, so we all have to make a point to joining <coughs> and being together, remembering, reflecting, and uh, celebrating this special day of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. I'm going to say yes or no.